So, Father, we just praise you and we thank you for today. We thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can read your word, that we can study it. We pray that you would uh, speak to each and every one of us, including myself today, that you'd speak through me, that you'd give me the words to say, that you'd speak to each and every one of us, whether it's uh, what you're uh, having me say or whether it's something that you just want to draw out of your words to us individually today or today. Uh, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have finished the book of Joshua. And so now we're starting the book of Judges, because that kind of makes sense, because after Joshua comes Judges in the Bible. So, to catch you up a bit on where we left off, uh, our main man, Joshua, from the book of Joshua, he's dead. Sorry to break it to you guys if you guys weren't here last week. He's dead. Um, he has been for a few thousand years. So... Um, that's where the book of Judges picks up. So today we're going to kind of do a little bit of an introduction. We're going to do a bit of an overview on what we probably are going to see in the book of Judges. And then we're going to take on the first verse of the first chapter of Judges. So um, Moses died as well. We all hopefully know that by this point. And in his stead, he left Joshua. However, when Joshua died, he didn't leave Israel with a leader. Joshua didn't turn around and say, all right, guys, I know I'm going, but I'm leaving you guys Bob. Bob is going to help lead you guys. He didn't turn around and do that. Joshua just was like, it's my time. See you guys. I uh, hope you guys have been listening. And so then he dies. And Israel is then left with one leader, the leader that they have had the entire time. God himself. But this time, they don't have Joshua or Moses to kind of be that mediator, to be someone to go, all right, guys, so this is what the Lord said. He said, do this. Hey, hey, buddy, buddy, watch out. Hey, they don't have Joshua or Moses to kind of help in that. Joshua left Israel to trust and to follow the Lord themselves, a responsibility that they actually had even with Moses and Joshua around. But this time, there's no earthly leader to actually help them in that. They'd been taught God's statutes, his law, and that God desired for them to be a royal priesthood, that they would be holy as he is holy. And we read that in Leviticus 19, verse 2, which says, Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So Israel knows this. They've looked at it, and they've gone, oh, okay, thanks, Lord. Yeah, this is really great. But they're more focused on the outward expression of this rather than the inwardly, actually, hey, I need to try and walk with the Lord inwardly in a way that pleases him, not just doing just what the Lord requires of me outside. And so because they're just focusing on the outward stuff, and they're not really focusing on the actual relationship with the Lord on the inward stuff, they end up failing outwardly as a result. And that's part of the problem with us as well. We can focus on being right, doing the good thing, seeming like good Christians, but if we're not really taking care of the stuff inwardly, if we're not really taking care of our relationship with God, then that will begin to show outwardly. Sometimes we're the people to notice that and to be like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. 
man, actually, that's a good point. I haven't been, really been spending much time with the Lord recently. Or the more awkward one is when other people notice before we do. And we think that we're doing really amazingly, and everyone else is like, so-and-so has really changed. They're being like a real man. I, yeah, he's... I, I don't know what's up with him. And when they speak to you, you finally kind of realize, oh, I haven't really been spending much time with the Lord recently, and that's probably affecting things. And the likelihood is, it is. So we can go to church and we can seem like an upstanding citizen, but we can still be a festering mess on the inside, full of pride and how kind we were to that person or lying to someone for our benefit or whatever else like that. And we can try and justify these different things. But the problem is that we're just trying to be good outwardly, not actually have a right relationship with the Lord inwardly. And so as we give into the flesh and neglect our relationship with God, it then begins to show outwardly and everyone else can see and we end up noticing the effects afterwards. But God desires that we actually have that right relationship with him and walk in the spirit. And as we do this, uh, we actually can then see God working in us to help us live right in his strength. And that's the position that Israel had been left in to walk how God desired and to have that right relationship with him. But throughout Judges, we are going to see Israel going at life on their own terms for a few hundred years. It's kind of crazy when you think about this, but the book of Judges spans a good few hundred years. And there's different debates about exactly how long the book of Judges takes. But the reality is that Israel ends up going at life on their own terms their own way for a long time. In fact, Judges 2, which we won't obviously be doing this week, we'll be doing in probably a few weeks' time or whatever. Judges 2, verse 10, specifically says, after that generation died, and that generation being the generation that was with Joshua, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And that's a problem, because... Israel failed to teach the next generation about God. If you love someone, you are going to talk about them to other people. But the reality is that Israel wasn't passing it down. Israel wasn't talking about how amazing God was, all that he'd done for them. And so their kids and their grandchildren didn't know about how great God was. And so as a result of that, they kind of saw what everyone else was doing and kind of just tried to fit in. So we're going to be in the beginning of Judges today. But Judges 2 does give us a good overview of what really Judges 2, what happens throughout Judges. Sorry. So Judges 2, verses 10 to 23, says, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. 
Every time Israel went out to the battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshipping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people, who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshipping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, Because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors, and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. So throughout Judges, we see a repeated cycle where the Israelites sin. There's then a consequence to that where they then become oppressed by surrounding nations. They end up falling into the consequences of their own sin. And then they realize how bad it is. So then they repent of it and they say, Lord, please help us. And so the Lord sends deliverance. And they're like, yay, this is fantastic. Oh, life's kind of easy. Oh, I kind of fancy doing this thing that I know is wrong and I'm going to do it anyway. And then they go ahead and do it. They fall into sin. And the whole cycle just begins again until they repent. And the Lord then brings deliverance. And God raises up several judges during this time. But in the stories, stories that we're going to read, you actually see a worsening impact of lives that are lived apart from God. Because that's the problem. We kind of see those little things when we're following the Lord and we're like, oh, oh, that's bad. I better fix that. And then we notice we're not reading the word for a while and we notice, oh, man, it's actually a lot better when I am reading the word. But then you notice the more that you spend time away from the Lord, the worse things get because you're deeper in sin and you notice there are greater consequences with that sin. So the first three judges that we end up seeing, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they're obedient to the Lord's calling and they seek to honor him in their lives. However, some of the latest ju later judges, you end up seeing these further and greater failures of just those different areas where because they don't have that relationship with the Lord, you just see these things. They're like, what on earth is going on with this guy? And then the Lord uses them. So Gideon, he's a guy that some of you guys might be familiar with. He's one of the judges. Gideon is obedient to the Lord. But then after he's obedient to the Lord and the Lord's used him, Gideon decides to murder some Israelites. And then he raises up an idol as his legacy. And then that leads to Israel's next downfall. Jephthah, he's another guy. And he helps Israel, but he's so far removed from a relationship with the Lord that he treats God just like any other random God that is in the surrounding nations. And so, one, he has no wisdom, so he ends up making a foolish vow, a vow that he doesn't need to make to the Lord, 
And that vow ends up costing him his daughter's life. So his daughter ends up dying because of a really silly vow that he needlessly makes. And then Samson, who you guys might be slightly more familiar with, um, he's a bit of an epitome of giving God the bare minimum, really. Because though he keeps his Nazarite vow for a while, though those outward things are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing, really, he succumbs to the consequence of living for his flesh, living for women, living in his pride, just being violent whenever he feels like it. And though he was used by God, he didn't actually seek to honor him with his life, really. And throughout this, you see a glimpse of how Israel is without God. You see how even the judges are in these lives, in the lives of these judges. Whoa, you, you're someone that the Lord picked, and the Lord's using you. Praise the Lord for that, because you don't really seem to honor him with your life, like in that relationship with, with him. And God uses these people, and he empowers them for his good work. But a lot of these people only ended up honoring God when it suited them. Then, finally, at the end of Judges, we're going to see a couple of examples of just how hideous sin's impact is in the lives of Israel. Because a lot of the time we see it through these wars and through the Judges. And then in the latter part of the book, we actually get a glimpse of mainly two different situations that are going on that are just like, what on earth is going on? It's the sort of stuff that you would see in crazy newspapers. And where we leave off in Judges, in Judges 21, verse 25, is in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that's the problem. Everyone just kind of did whatever they felt like. Throughout the book, we see the evil of mankind and our own sin, but we see the goodness of God throughout all of that. Throughout seeing the continual failures, you actually end up seeing the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God throughout all of that. When you look at it like we're going to be going through, we're going to be studying it, you see the bigger picture of how God is involved in all of these different things, and you see the beautiful picture of just how Though we're so rebellious and sinful, God is actually merciful and gracious towards us in his loving correction. And people say, uh, especially when you kind of look at Judges, you're like, oh, Judges is kind of a rough book. And sometimes you may hear the phrase of, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament so different from the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament's just, you know, so angry, and the God of the New Testament so loving and kind. Well, actually... The book of Judges is a good example of how loving and kind God is. Because even though you see all of those problems with the people of Israel, you see just how gracious God is towards Israel, despite all of these different things. So, continually we see that where there is sin, there is punishment, but where there is repentance, there is mercy. And we begin to see that right at the beginning of the book, where we start with Judges 1, verse 1. And we'll read that. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, 
which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites. So just like we mentioned, Joshua's gone. And though Joshua is gone, the Israelites are starting off well. It says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord. They didn't go, all right, who's going to lead us now? They just go, all right, let's ask the Lord. Let's see what we should be doing. And this is a great start because they're turning to the Lord. And Israel seems like they have a little bit of a leadership issue a leadership issue here at the beginning of Judges because Joshua's dead, there's no Moses, there's no Joshua, so what do they do? So they're left to turn to the one who led their leaders, the greatest leader of all, the one who knows the future, the ones who knows them, who knows their enemies, God himself. So they're now in a position where they have to trust and obey God themselves without a leader like Moses or Joshua to tell them what to do. They need to be having that relationship, them and the Lord. And we're in an even better position than they were because we have Jesus as our example. We have Jesus as our sacrificial lamb who cleanses us, who takes away the sin of the world, who makes us right with God. He is our high priest who mediates for us. And we have his Holy Spirit to actually help us walk right. He empowers us to walk how he's calling us to walk. He's not just saying, here are the things, go at it. But he's saying, hey, here's what I'm asking of you. Here's my Holy Spirit to help you actually walk how I'm asking you to walk. We, ourselves, today, we don't need anybody other than Jesus for us to have a relationship with God. We don't need to rely on experienced Christians or pastors or friends or anybody else to have that relationship with God. We don't have to go through someone else. We can actually go to God because through Jesus Christ, we actually have that relationship. We've been cleansed. We've been made right. We've been made children of God. So we can pray. We can read the word. We can understand God's word without the need of us actually having to go to someone else and saying, hey, I have a prayer request. I need you to pray for me because I can't pray myself. So if you pray for me, I know God will hear you. But the reality is, God's hearing any of us. When we pray to him, we know, actually, I don't need to go to anyone else to say, Lord, please, can you help me? I can just cry out to the Lord myself. That's entirely possible with just you and God. And it's from that point when we already have a relationship with the Lord that those spiritual leaders can be more effective to help guide and instruct. Because we're not simply going to say, hey, I can't do this, so I need you to do it for me. Or I need you to tell me what God thinks of me doing this. But we're able to say, actually, I can do that myself. And then I can go for wisdom and instruction, having already been in the place of hey, I'm trusting the Lord in this. I've prayed to the Lord myself in this. Could you join me in prayer? So we're able to be together in that prayerful state. We must be obedient to God in our own lives, living the Christian lives ourselves, not through the lives of others. And Pastor Dave spoke about that last week. It's up to us to be wholly committed to God in our own lives, not hope for someone else who we hope is to tell us how to live. We can read in Proverbs 3, 
verses 5 to 6, of how we shouldn't lean on our own understanding. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So does this verse say, lean not on your own understanding, rather on the understanding of others? No, obviously not. We can read it. But sometimes we kind of take that second part of verse 5, and we're like, lean not on your own understanding. Great. I need to go to so-and-so and ask them. But the thing is, they actually have the verse applying to them too. The reality is, we have the first part of the verse to tell us exactly what we should be doing, leaning on God with all our heart. So we shouldn't be just trusting in other people before we're trusting in the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. People, other people, pastors, experienced Christians aren't substitutes for God when we don't want to hear what God has to say, when we're kind of like, I, I don't know, I don't trust that God will speak to me, so I'm going to just go ask so-and-so, and they'll tell me. But the reality is that each of us have that relationship with the Lord. We're able to go to him and say, Lord, can you help? I'm really struggling with this. And the Lord hears us because he loves us, and we have a right relationship with him. It's like asking a sibling for advice about something based on what a parent might want. The reality is you can just ask the parent yourself. Like, why would you go to your sibling and say, hey, what do you think dad would say about this? I want you to tell me, I'm not asking dad. Um, it's a perfectly fine request, and I know he'll be perfectly cool with it, but I don't want to do it because I don't trust that he'll respond to me. No, the reality is that the sibling's going to know just as much. And actually, really, you're in a better position to go and ask that question. I remember uh, growing up, my brother and I would sometimes do this thing where we would ask our dad, so if I needed this much money, how much would you give me? And uh, I remember my brother asking me this one time. He wanted something. And he asked me, so I don't want to ask dad because he might say no. But how much money do you think dad would give me if I want to get this thing? Like, do you, do you think he'd give me like 10 pounds? Because obviously 10 pounds is a lot when you're like 10. Um, do you think he'd give me 10 pounds? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, ask for me, ask for me. Uh, OK, fine, I'll ask him. I didn't really ask, I don't think, how Josh wanted me to ask. Because I was like, so dad, if I needed money, that's the problem, I'm asking for me now. If I needed money, and as the older brother, I was slightly more responsible. I was trying to buy like a watch, or like I'm trying to buy those things. My brother instead was trying to buy McDonald's. So we have slightly different priorities there. Um, and I am asking my dad at this point, and I'm like, if I needed 10 pounds, would you give it to me? And my dad's like, well, depend what it was for. But yes, yes, I think I would. And uh, so then I'm like, OK, if I needed 20 pounds, would you give it to me? And my, da my dad's like, hey, come on, you're 12, 20 pounds. Why do you need 20 pounds? But my dad's like, 
Again, it would depend what you needed it for, but I think maybe. I'd want to know what it was at that point. So I'm like, all right, cool, I have a good gauge here. So I go to Josh, and I'm like, Dad said, 10 pounds, no, no problem, 10 pounds wasn't, wasn't an issue. 20 pounds was more of an issue. And so my brother's like, cool, this is, this is good, this is safe, all right, 10 pounds, I've got this. So he goes over to my dad and basically just asks him straight up for 10 pounds uh, because he wants to go and you know, do something in town or whatever. And my dad has a little bit of a problem with it because he's like, well, you're 10, why do you suddenly need 10 pounds? randomly and you're not really telling me what this is for. And the, the problem was that I was asking and my dad was giving a response for me based on me asking. If my brother was asking, then my dad would have given a better response. He would have gotten a better gauge of things. If my brother had gone to my dad and said, hey, if you would, have, would be willing to give me 10 pounds, then my dad may have been slightly more willing when Josh actually just almost demanded 10 pounds. Uh, you know what? Okay, we've had this conversation. I said I would, so I'm gonna trust you with this. That might be more of a situation there, but the reality was that Josh just took me requesting for me, really, as, oh, that's it, then we'll do it. It's, it's, it's good, and I will just go straight away and ask. My brother would have actually just been better off if he asked himself rather than got me to do it for him. And likewise, we have a spiritual father who loves us, who we have a relationship with. So instead of relying on other people to ask God for us, it would be better off if we just asked ourselves. Because he's not fooled. God's not fooled. He knows that it's ask us really trying to ask through someone else. It doesn't make it any more effective even though we sometimes our flesh makes us feel like, oh, I can't do that. But the reality is that despite us, despite all that we do, God still loves us. And we're still able to come to him and to make these requests. The reality is that God knows us and he desires for us to have a relationship with him, for us to have that relationship with him and for him to actually lead us in that. But when he leads us, we then need to be obedient to it. We then need to say, all right, you've told me what I need to do. I need to walk in that obedience. However, we see throughout even just this first part of Judges, the Israelites are going to compromise on their obedience. And so through this compromise, they end up disobeying God and reaping the consequences of sin and its consequential enslavement of their lives. And it's a reminder for us not to compromise on our obedience. And we begin that at the source, where we are obedient to God. Not simply just what someone else says, but when we go to the word and when we say, all right, Lord, you've said this, I want to be obedient to it. Rather than just simply relying on what other people say. Paul, even when we read the epistles, Paul even commends the Bereans because he's like, hey, you guys didn't just hear what I had to say, which, you know, it was good, but I commend you guys because you went and searched the scriptures to find out if what I was saying was true. And that's the thing. If we're just getting 
you know, if we're just coming to church and that's our only spiritual input, then we're going to be kind of sickly Christians. We're not really going to be doing great spiritually because that's our only input. What's a fantastic input is God's word in our lives every single day. If you eat a physical meal every single day, which hopefully you do, uh, then a spiritual meal every, every day isn't going to do you any harm. It's only going to do you more good. And so obedience begins with actually being obedient to God, not simply what someone else says, and then beginning with what we already know before something new. We already know God's word. And so we need to go to God's word and try and be obedient to it. Because how can we really prance around asking God for directions in our lives for us to be obedient to? You know, we're like, oh, I've got this thing. Lord, tell me what to do. But we're actually refusing to be obedient in the direction that he's already given us in his word. If the Lord's told us to act a certain way or to be a certain thing, and if we're like, no, Lord, I just kind of want to do life on my own terms, but then we turn to the Lord when we have a difficult decision, and we're like, Lord, please help me with this decision. The reality is it's, it's not the best kind of relationship. If you had that relationship with any other human being, you'd be like, this is a weird relationship. This person refuses to listen to anything that I have to say until it's convenient for them, and then they all of a sudden want to know. And then they're only going to be obedient when it really suits them. And now I don't mean mastering obedience and simply being perfect, but I mean actively walking in a way that honors God. When you read his word, applying it. When you're tempted to sin, fighting it. Truly showing the, your love for the Lord in how you live. John 14, verses 15 to 18 says, and this is Jesus speaking, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So God has not only revealed for us how to live, but he's actually empowered us by his Holy Spirit to follow through on being obedient to how he wants us to live. So if you're struggling to know what God wants you to do in a certain situation at the moment, but you're not really being obedient to what he has already directed you in, by his, through his word, then start by being obedient to his revealed will, what he's already said in his word, then you'll more than likely actually find that he reveals what to do in your current situation. It can be a situation where either option is the will of the Lord, of course. It can be that sort of a situation. But the reality is that we can't just decide that ourselves and say, oh, both are probably God's will, based simply on us not really wanting to go to the Lord. Or us just saying, I, I don't really just want to spend time. I, I just want to do this thing. But actually going to the Lord earnestly, honestly, and saying, Lord, can you show me what to do? Both might be good for me. That's fine. But I want to ask you. And I want to know what you have to say on this. And we see in the life of Saul the issue of obedience and just kind of doing things when it feels convenient. He had an issue with being obedient to God. 
and then only asking the Lord for direction when it really suited him. You know, things would happen. He's like, yeah, all right, cool. The priest isn't here. All right, I'm, I'm going to do this myself, guys. All right, roll up your sleeves. We're going to... And then all of a sudden, trouble ensues, and he's like, it was not my fault you didn't come earlier. You know, that's not the sort of thing that we can say to the Lord. You, we can't turn around to the Lord and be like, Lord, you should have just told me earlier. We naturally need to be patient to hear what the Lord has to say. Saul wanted to be obedient on his own terms. But we have to be obedient on the one who's actually setting those things for us to be obedient to. We need to be obedient on God's terms. And we do that when we choose not to do what God, uh, sorry, when we choose not to do what God's already asked of us, deliberately walking in our own way, then problem is going to happen. And then if we ask him for direction in a different area of our lives, we really should probably just turn around and say, you know what, Lord, I should probably actually try being obedient to what you've already asked me to do. And in that, I might actually see that you're showing me what to do in this current situation. And I think of my own life where there have been plenty of times where I've been stuck on what to do, but I've noticed that I haven't been obedient to something that the Lord's asked of me already. But when I've gone back to correct that and to be obedient, I've, I've actually found that he's shown me what to do either in my obedience or shortly after being obedient. Like, I remember one occasion when I got extra money in the month and I kind of asked the Lord, all right, Lord, this is nice. I can put it in savings. I can, what, what do you want me to do with this? Because um, I think you might actually want me to do something with this. And the Lord actually led me to give it to someone. And I was kind of reluctant to do so because I was like, that's kind of going to be an awkward situation. I kind of have to ask them for bank details. And like, it's just going to be awkward and the timing of it, Lord. And then a little later, um, I'd asked the Lord, and I, I didn't do it at that point. And time went on a little bit. And then I asked the Lord about, there was something that I was like, oh, Lord, actually, I can use my money and I can, I can buy this thing and it would be super helpful um, for myself. It would be super helpful for other people. And I'm kind of jotting up these things in my head. And the Lord reminded me, you've already asked me this question. And I've, I've told you what to do. Um, it's up to you. And I'm like, yeah, Lord, you're right. I need to be obedient to what you've asked me to do. And so I then went to this person and I gave them money. And uh, I was like, all right, Lord, thanks. I now have an answer to my question. I obviously don't need that. And if you want me to have it, then you'll provide the money for it. Because the reality was that I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. But I chose that. I was going to delay things, and I was like, oh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Really, I was just being disobedient to the Lord. Until later on, I kind of had another question. I was like, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And the Lord reminded me, hey, remember to be obedient here? Because you're asking me for direction in this, and you already have your answer. Because if you were obedient in that first thing, you wouldn't need to be asking me about this. He, asked, he answered my question by me being obedient to him. And that's a simple thing, but that's the everyday answers that the Lord's going to give us at times when we're being obedient to him. So let's start by being obedient to his revealed will, and you'll more than likely find that he reveals what to do in current situations. Obedience begins with recognizing who to go to 
which is God, and continues as we walk in that obedience, as the Lord leads us and guides us through life. So obedience begins at God and then continues in the everyday things. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be obedient to what you ask of us, that we would have um, a good relationship with you, one that seeks to honor you in our lives. Father, just as uh, we want to honor our parents, um, Father, we want to honor you. We want to honor you in how we live, that you've asked of us uh, good things. So we ask that you'd help us to be obedient in those things to follow through on it, to have the patience to uh, wait and hear what you have to say, to have the discipline to read your word that um, will answer a lot of the questions that we may have. Father, we pray that you'd, uh, you'd help us to walk in the spirit. You'd help us to honor you with our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.